This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it is not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive is to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet challenges you face every day to help you keep safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse. I'm Peter Matthews, editor of Firehouse Magazine. And I'm really uh, honored to have two members of the McCall Idaho Fire Department on with us today uh, to talk about uh, the incident that led them to be the recipient of this year's Michael O'McNamee Award of Valor, which is part of the Firehouse Valor and Community Service Award Program. Um, that uh, award that we, 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 we provide comes out every year. Uh, this year it's, it's uh, published in the October issue, which is hitting the streets right now. Um, you can find out more about uh, John and Jason today and all the winners uh, of the awards program at firehouse.com Valor, where again, you can also look in the October issue of Firehouse. So today I'd like to welcome uh, John Metz, a firefighter and paramedic, and Jason Beck, a firefighter EMT. Uh, from McCall um, to talk about their incident uh, that that led to um, a rescue um, that some of our judges said was the most heroic thing that they've ever uh, you know read about uh, through all their years of judging awards programs and and being members of the fire service. So so guys, if I can just have you um, just talk a little bit about your background and your fire service careers before we. Uh, dig into the incident, which which led to the award. And again, you know, congratulations. Yeah, um, good afternoon, Peter. This is uh, this is Jason speaking. Um, I wanted to at least first say thanks, that, uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, it's a, a huge honor uh, to be uh, notified uh, receiving this award. Um, there's obviously uh, some amazing company. I read some of the recipients last year and what they did and uh, yeah it's just an honor so um, I uh, have been on this department McCall Fire Department for 10 years it's the only department I've worked on uh, worked with uh, nine years of volunteer and over a year and a half as a full-time employee um, so like I said, I'm a uh, firefighter EMT um, and uh, I work on the ambulance here yeah, Peter, thank this, you. This, this is John uh, sitting next to Jason. We appreciate uh, you reaching out to us. And, uh, boy, like, what an understatement to say how humbled we are, especially reading the past recipients of this award from the man it was named after to everybody else. Uh, never thought we'd be in this kind of company having this conversation in my entire life. But incredibly honored to talk to you today. Um, my name is John Metz. I've been in the fire service a little over 10 years. I was with McCall Fire Department for almost five years. Um, and then this past January, I took a lateral position as a fire medic with the Nampa Fire Department in the Treasure Valley, which is basically the Boise area. Um, and I had the honor to work with Jason over this incident in 2019. Um, we were on different shifts, but we can tell you more about that. But again, just super humbled to be here sitting next to Jason talking to you right now. Well, guys, thank you, and thank you, um, thank you for joining us. So, before we get going, here, I just want to actually, uh, for the folks who don't know about McCall, uh, tell us a little bit about the community itself, and, and of course, you know, the department that you guys uh, served with at the time, um, with the size of the department, number of rings you have, kind of like what your running assignments would be, uh, so our, our listeners have a better idea of uh, what you know what you would encounter uh, on a traditional structure fire call. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'll start with uh, uh, McCall. McCall's about 100 miles north of uh, Boise, which is the capital of Idaho. Uh, it's a resort uh, town. That's kind of a, a four-season uh, resort town. It's approximately 3,000 people full-time and then kind of swells uh, in the summer to about uh, 20,000 maybe in the uh, winter as well. Um, so this would be pretty pretty big in the uh, uh, ski season in the summer. We're, we're sitting on a lake, uh, 
So there's a lot of recreation, mountain biking, uh, water sports, stuff like that. Um, McCall Fire Department is uh, the only, there's, we only have one department in McCall, uh, consisting of uh, two fire chiefs, 12 full-time firefighter, uh, EMTs or paramedics. Uh, so yeah, one station. Um, okay. We we typically uh, we typically ride uh, on a two-person engine and a two-person ambulance. We do uh, transport uh, all of our EMS patients. Um, so we have a, a small level four trauma center here in McCall. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And for our our first assignment, Peter, a lot of times we go two and two. Two on an engine, two on an ambulance. Um, I'd say at least half our town is hydrogen uh, areas, so a lot of times we do rural, rural water operations as well. Um, a box for us is basically four people right from the first 10 minutes of the incident. Uh, we wait for our wow. part-time people to uh, respond as well. Our nearest mutual aid would be Donnelly Fire Department, which would be some great folks. Uh, they're about 11 miles down the highway. So for us to, to uh, to get as many people as we can on a working construction fire. A lot of it depends on what we call volunteers, but they are essentially part-time firefighters, um, just like any volunteer department in America, carrying the pager, listen for the page, you know, drop them what they're doing, kind of the backbone of, of the American Fire Service, right, that volunteer spirit. So we really count on them, uh, McCall, and we really, really, really value their help uh, as, long, as well as the full-time staff here, which is four on duty every day. Okay, so you, so you definitely had your hands cut out for you for the entire department uh, at that point when you guys had this incident. So, so this incident um, that, that's detailed, um, it was March 17th of 2019, correct? Yeah. Okay. And, and so you two were on Medic 54, and, and it, 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 you know, states it kind of, does you guys... Uh, witnessed a, a column of smoke uh, before the run came in. Uh, I, you know, you guys kind of jumped it, started heading that way. Uh, took you guys a couple minutes to get on scene. Um, you assumed fairway command, and at that point, you called an all-out rescue mode. Uh, were you aware of people trapped before you arrived? Um, no. So just to backpedal, yeah, Jason and I were on the ambulance. Um, Man, it all boils down to that I want to go to the store and get some chicken. <laughs> I was like, man, I really want to get some chicken for lunch. And Jason's like, yeah, let's go to the store. So we asked our captain, who was Captain Jay Class, um, and engineer Matt McMahon at the station, hey, guys, we're going to buzz to the store a mile away. Yeah, no problem, fellas. So we go to the store, and as we're walking in, we see a, a giant header, right, in the distance. Uh, it didn't look anything like um, – you know, like a, a burn pile of debris or a slash pile, but it didn't have that dark, like billowy, like black, you know, working fire. It was just kind of this weird gray plume off in the trees. Um, and that kind of started us to, to as literally as walk in the store to be like, that doesn't look right. Let's get in our rig and let's go investigate it. Yeah, so that's, uh, we jumped in our rig and we're headed towards town. Uh, it was about, a mile and a half away, um, and we were about halfway there, and we got the page um, that uh, there was a possible house explosion um, on, um, yeah, on a, on a street that we had actually cleared a house of propane uh, not three days before this. So we knew where the uh, location was, um, and we were headed that way, and there weren't any reports of uh, anyone in the structure at the time. Okay. Yeah. So you pull yeah, up so and, and, and the word, I, I could read the description, but I don't think the scene can do justice. So paint the picture, picture for us about what you saw uh, when you first arrived. Yeah. So as we're going, um, dispatch kind of made it clear they'd had, you know, 10 calls of, what they thought was an explosion in the area. As we got closer, we knew it was going to be a working fire. Um, we called working fire and upgraded to a code three response. Uh, as we got closer, I can't remember if there, there was one radio report of, of someone trapped in the house. Uh, reports of screaming, I believe, is what dispatch said. Um, 
as we got closer to the, uh, the actual address, you, you have to bear in mind this is uh, springtime here, which means a lot of snow still. So literally we're on a uh, almost a single lane road with, with six to eight foot snow banks on each side. Um, and then each house as it get close, closer to it would be like dug out. As we got closer to the incident, um, it was just a pile of, of debris everywhere. Like it would, just stuff obstructing us to actually park even somewhat close to Alpha Side. Wouldn't you say, Jason? I mean, we were we were probably 75 yards away from the actual incident before. That literally made our ambulance stop because we couldn't move from debris. Yeah, and I think we chose to. I think I was driving. I'm pretty sure I was driving. Uh, we chose to kind of park adjacent to, um, like John said, a cutout and a in a driveway. Um, which is the closest we could get so we could actually open our side doors uh, because we had our turnout uh, staged with our packs uh, in the in the driver's side uh, compartment. Um, so these roads are so narrow that you, can, you can't even open uh, doors really. So uh, we decided to stage there um, and that's when uh, uh, witnesses uh, uh, him rushing to us to let us know that there was somebody um, possibly in that wreckage. Okay. And it, so the majority of the house was down at that point, right? And, and you had, uh, you actually had fire showing too? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I had a radio. Um, yeah. We had uh, a big wall of flames, I would say, on the alpha side. Uh, it looked like defensive fire conditions, even though some of the structure was almost cantilever collapsed. Um, there was survivable space in that alpha side. If you can if you can visualize Alpha Bravo by all the wall of flames, Charlie was open and then there was some some area on the delta that you could kind of you could see around. Um, as we parked, we would have been parked far away from Delta. Um, so we're turning out multiple bystanders um, essentially trying to grab us, screaming at us, yelling there's people inside. Um, so we were kind of, you know, the stress level were, were already escalating at that point as we're turning out, as we're getting our air pack, and then most importantly, as we're grabbing the tools that we need, um, specifically the, uh, the water can. Um, uh, we knew from a lot of trainings that some of our guys went to earlier that, hey, if you're an ALS ambulance, it, it doesn't matter, have some firefighting tools in as well. We kept a set of irons, a can, and then all of our SCBAs and turnouts in the ambulance. Um, so we we were at least enabled by our department to have that stuff and, and put ourselves in all that rescue mode. Um, as I'll, I'll kind of take this over to Jason, this is where it gets a little gray. But uh, yeah, we 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 had a face to face. We had a plan. Uh, we got to get this person. And so as we we got closer to the incident, we knew our buddies, our captain, captain class, and uh, firefighter engineer Matt McMahon were on their way in our suppression engine however our station was was a ways away right and we got to jump on this call because we actually saw the header so we knew we were a couple minutes at least before those guys were going to arrive yeah so we made we made our way uh, uh, to the address and to the driveway um, with the wall of flames on Alpha side and kneeled down and started uh, masking up and just Took those extra seconds to make sure we had everything correct as we knew we were going to uh, most likely try to make entry uh, through that alpha side. Um, with John with the can, I was following behind him, um, and John was able to find a, a couple foot uh, entry point uh, down where the garage would have been. Um, uh, the garage door was uh, completely on the floor uh, or on the on the ground, and we were able to crawl underneath that a couple of feet and realize that it was a, it was a garage, there was a car in there um, and a heavy wall of flames. Uh, John was doing what it could with the, with the can uh, to beat the flames back, but uh, we realized um, six to eight feet inside the structure that uh, we had hit a dead end and we were gonna have to uh, reverse back out and try another option. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, that, and that, that's what was kind of vivid, too, and, and to preface that, we heard the victim scream. There, it was a shrill scream behind the wall of flames, which 
you know, neither of us have experienced here in, in small town Idaho. Um, it escalated, you know, the stress of the incident, but it also escalated a sense of, of urgency. Um, I think, uh, you know, kind of that rec recognition prime decision making, we knew we had to occupy survivable space, right? Um, and that's what we did. We got on there and we climbed under this collapse zone. Uh, I was in front, Jason was in back, uh, just trying to navigate into the debris to get close closer to the to screens because we knew it was coming back. Um, so with the can, we were able, yeah, like you said, we were probably six to 10 feet and then it just got too hot and there was just, there was really no path to go through. Um, and that's kind of like that, uh, that plan A, plan B, contingency, emergency, you, you know, the dynamic of thinking when you're in this situation like that, plan A is out, so we got to redirect to plan B. Um, so we came out from that point uh, and reassessed and realized that we had to get through the wall flames to the victim. Uh, that's where, and I've talked about this before, and I'll, I'll just keep narrating because this is where it gets a little gray for me, but there was a, there was a point where we kind of split up. Um, I went up and over uh, some collapsed parts of the house, um, kind of shielding myself away from fire with some support members that were collapsed, uh, and then was able to kind of I kind of make my way through active fire, like in a fast position, right? It's like when you wave your hand over a candle, if you're moving, you're not really feeling the heat as much. So that's what I, I kind of did. And then as I did that, I, the whole, there was a three story, 3000 foot, 3000 square foot house, right? Um, with an explosion. So the middle is kind of blown out. Right. And as soon as I kind of came up over this little bank, um, I could see a victim uh, down there. She was, she was basically surrounded by fire from the Alpha and Bravo side. And she was in an area no bigger than like maybe, uh, I've said before, like a king size mattress um, buried up to her neck in debris. Um, I wish I could <laughs> sit here and say, you know, like I adhered to crew integrity and made sure Jason and I responded together. But man, I, I just made my way to her and totally ditched Jason, um, which is, I still have regrets about, but. Uh, I made my way down through that debris burning pile to her. Come to find out, of course, Jason's on my heels. He just picked another way around, and he can kind of tell you which way he went to get to her. Um, and, yeah, so, we did lose. and just Jason, sorry, before you, before you start. So, you know, again, it, the, the description that, that we received for the nomination was it was almost like a 20-foot wall of flames, right? So that's kind of what was burning. But, like, what were the smoke conditions in there at that point, and and what was the what was the heat levels when you when you when you made your way to her? So yeah, Peter. So when I when I made it, it the smoke, it was it was active flame, um, it without any kind of roof or anything. So visibility was really good. The heat was high. Okay. It was definitely really high because I was basically just trying to run through little certain pockets of fire and flame, and it would almost be like. There's a spot that's on fire four feet in front of me. Wow, my knees are hot. You know, I'm hot. But when I get there, it's like a little refuge. And then there's another spot. Just making your way through these these little areas over burning debris piles and underneath, like, burning members and stuff. Um, that was kind of what we saw. But the visibility was, like, favorably very, very good, right? Because there was nothing – there was no um, – there was no roof. Like, the ventilation, it was all – it was all – clearly visible and then Jason kind of went more to the right yeah I went after I backed out of the structure I went over to the Delta side I got some input from a bystander saying that uh, uh, from a different location uh, a nearby occupancy uh, from a deck they could you could see down into where the house was um, it was a daylight basement so there was a, a okay hole there so I was able to crawl up onto the um, snow banks which we still had in March um, and make my way around to the Delta side uh, still in voice contact with, with John um, but did lose sight of him for uh, a couple seconds so um, I made my way around that wall of flame um, and found an entry point on the Delta side uh, the Alpha Delta corner there where um, where I could make entry and start crawling down into the, to the basement where the victim was. Yeah, great. So, so, so you guys are are back, you know, at that, at that point. Um, 
Yeah, sorry. And it's you started. Like, I think. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think Jason and I we fail creative writing class. Like we're we're not we're not providing like the vivid description um, of kind of what we saw. But I mean, I mean, I could I could just tell you right. Like this situation was super unique in the fact that she was in an area of survivable space that was basically maintained for the moment, and she was buried in debris, which I, I feel like shielded her a lot from the heat. If you can imagine from the neck down she was completely buried um so when we got to her uh i remember we get to her and we we took this assessment um i remember we called for our engine engine 11 for some water basically a deck on to shield us but those guys were doing everything they could just to paint the picture of what was going on to get to the scene the single lane road was blocked unfortunately by a, another vehicle so incredibly these guys hear us you know, asking for water and they're 200 yards shy, blocked out of the area, um, waiting for that person to move their vehicle. So the stress for Captain Class and Engineer McMahon had to be almost equally as, as high as what we were experiencing at the moment, knowing that they couldn't help. Um, at that point, we saw the victim. Uh, she was a juvenile, 16 years old. Uh, she was a big kid, she was probably 250 pounds. Um, so it's when we say kid, it, it, she was a big girl. Uh, she was awake, screaming, um, not alert whatsoever, uh, essentially concussed, I'm assuming from the blast, uh, but did have kind of a recognition of us when we leaned over. I remember, I can't even imagine, I talked to her later, when this was all over and I was like, man, it must look crazy when you're sitting there and all of a sudden it looks like Darth Vader leans over you. <laughs> and it's just like, Hey, we're going to get you out of here. But that's exactly what we did. We leaned, we leaned over. Uh, I said, we're going to get you out to her. And uh, I handed Jason the can and I said, get these, this fire out. I'm going to dig her out and we're going to move you basically push into the seaside. Um, that was the plan. So that's, um, so I that too, we're going to have the pictures and the report too. I, I should mention that on the podcast player page on firehouse.com, if you go to firehouse.com slash podcast, um, uh, we will actually have some of the pictures from the after action report so that you can see exactly what it is. So you guys have done a great job at describing it. Uh, don't worry about the creative writing class at school. Uh, sometimes <laughs> pictures tell us you know, the story and, and we definitely have that here. Um, in, in, in the picture for, to, to kind of illustrate exactly what it is that you encountered. Awesome, man. So, yeah, Jason, you want to tell us kind of what was going through your mind when you grabbed the can? Cause... Um, I want to hear. Yeah, so after I grabbed uh, the can from John, um, uh, I was trying to beat that the, beat back the, uh, the closest uh, fire fire to us um which was uh from the side that i came down uh there were two by fours uh, still on fire uh contents of the house on fire uh insulation was starting to catch fire so we were trying to beat that uh back with what we had left of that can um and by the time john had got the victim um out of the rubble that's when uh we ran out of water in the uh in the water can so um that was the only water can we brought in we only have one on the ambulance um so that was useless to us at the time so we decided to focus on getting the victim out of the uh charlie side we decided which was um uh the area with the uh, least amount of fire um to uh to carry her over um Bear in mind, she uh, was she was wearing uh, clothing. She was in a thin um, t-shirt and some thin sweat. That, uh, uh, but uh, we weren't able to find any blankets or anything. The only thing we had were our, uh, webbing pod straps with us to uh, to help maneuver over uh, this debris field that was uh, yeah in the way two by fours. Uh, on fire and okay. uh, broke the drywall, stuff like that. So, yeah. And how far were you in at that point? How far were we in, in time-wise? Yeah. Or no, oh, it, 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 like in from from the perimeter of the house. 
you know, what would have been the foundation of the outside wall. So we were right in the middle of it. She no. was basically found right in the middle of the house. Um, she was in the basement when the house exploded. We can talk about what caused it. It was a sheer propane line. So it was almost like the eye of a hurricane, right? It's like that safe spot. Um, unfortunately, her grandpa was killed. Um, this, this incident is super tragic in many, many regards, that being one of the worst things that happened. Uh, he was upstairs, but she was in that area. So if you can think of a detonation that exploded outward, she was in the middle. Um, that's where she was. So we were in the middle of this incident. Uh, what I can tell you, too, is, uh, you know, we called our buddies, Captain uh, Class and Matt. Uh, hey, we still need water. Uh, we, we said we did locate a victim. Um, and I heard back on the radio that they were doing the best they could. And I heard uh, we're going to deploy, I think you said, a horizontal stand pipe. Thus, that's an extended lay, whether you call it a trunk line or or what. And so what that did to my recognition of the incident is I realized there was a problem because I was expecting, uh, you know, big water, deck gun, whatever, because to, to, that's what I was calling for initially. We couldn't get that, so I knew that we had some kind of uh, access problem. Um, this is where it gets very interesting. Uh, a lot of the training we've done uh, with victim removals, there's lots of lots of ways to do it. And, uh, you know, we just took some training with Brothers in Battle about, uh, you know, harnessing the legs, crossing them, getting them up on your, your shoulder to, to, to drag that way. Unfortunately, when we practice this, it's typically in an environment um, that's a house, a floor, something stable. Uh, this would be more like a landfill. So that that uh, victim removal tactic did not work uh, for, for this girl. Uh, again, we went from plan A to plan B, um, and that was, like Jason said, utilizing our webbing. Again, another, uh, you know, thing that we, we'd never encountered is this victim had a significantly deformed uh, humerus, um, almost fractured in half. So you can think of a girth hitch capturing her, was essentially sliding the webbing up over her neck area. So it made it incredibly difficult to access her um, and, and to move her. But that was what we did. We, we got it on, and it's one of those things that's life over limb. Um, and I think we were able to move her with everything we had about six to eight inches at a time, just simply one, two, three, move, one, two, three, move. Um, and just to continue, this is the part where uh, – it got a little <laughs> interesting because there was an, we believe, what, acetylene tank? Is what yeah. They said. Mm -hmm. He was a welder and a mechanic. Um, so he he rode Harley motorcycles and liked to work on his bikes inside his house. He had a little mini okay. garage down in his basement. So he carried oxygen and acetylene and, yeah. um, among other things. So um, when we, uh, we got her in a um, upright sitting position. Um, John had a girth hitch around her uh, under her torso, um, and uh, I was on her legs. And we uh, had a second explosion of an acetylene tank that kind of shot over the top of us. Um, so we kind of shielded the victim with with our bodies trying to. Um, keep her as comfortable as possible um, when that was going off. So uh, we didn't know how many more there were. Uh, so I was going to be the only one. Um, so it was even more of a, uh urgency at that point to, to get her out. Yeah, it just made a difficult situation even more difficult, right? Like that acetylene basically burned off right over us. Um, I remember it being hot, theater, like, Super hot, uh, like, wow, my hood, my ears are cooked, just like your basic structure fire, kind of hot. But we're out in the open, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, I didn't realize when it was acetylene till later because my back was towards it. But very, very untenable, and thank God it cooked off because, I, I don't know, there was, there was a time where I thought, you know, we're going to have to leave this kid. But I remember being over and looking at her, and shielding her with my body, like laying over the top of her, her face, literally, like she probably didn't like it, but my whole torso grinded on her face, um, thinking if I leave this kid, this is it. Like she, she this is, you know, she's not going to make yeah. it. And that was tough. And it was emotional. And, like, I literally had a second or two to think about that. And Jason was right on my six, basically protecting her as well. And uh, 
you know, that settling, it, it took off and basically went away. And so it was almost like from super hot back to bearable. And that was when we really got the move on. <laughs> and uh, I probably redlined an adrenaline then, but, yeah, we really started making more progress working her over to that seaside uh, to get her out. So uh, okay. at that point, uh, you want to just uh, tell about Captain Class? I uh, we look over and it was almost like the uh, A team theme song, man. Dun, 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 dun. I look over and I see this bouncing red ha helmet, and there's our there's our captain just getting to the incident. And I was so thankful because we were gassed. She was still in danger zone, but man, Captain Class was great. You know, he uh, he came down through a, a structure next to it, basically made access through that, and popped out the side of this house and made his way through the d debris pile. Uh, man, I've never been happier to see a boss in my life. And he came over, and we still had a lot of work to do. We had to get this, this kid over a, a stem wall. It was about, I don't know, four four feet, would you say? About four feet. So we got her to the base of the stem wall. Um, we were gassed. Captain Class came, and we were able to, uh, man, with his help, uh, get her over and up the stem wall. And that, basically, if you think of it, almost like a hazmat zone, like the, the stem wall would have been like the, the edge of the fire. Past that, more relative safety. Uh, not as hot, like not as much burning debris. That was kind of the last major, major life and death obstacle, I would say. His help was instrumental. Um, so, he, you know, everything we, we had, we got her up this this wall and over and uh, started making making our way out that seaside. Okay. Yes, yeah, so um, yeah, he was right. Uh, uh, Captain Class was uh, very helpful. We wouldn't be able to get her up. I think the two of us, we were so gassed uh, at that point. Um, but we got her up onto that uh, that side and put her up onto a four by four piece of debris that um, came from the house, and we were able to then slide her across the rest of the debris to safety to have a, a tree patch back behind the house. Um, this house fronted a golf course, uh, a fairway on a golf course, and uh, drove her out on that uh, piece of debris uh, to the golf course where we could get her on a, uh, a regular backboard. And, and then uh, we had some amazing uh, first responders, um, Officer Seth Aerosmith um, from the McCall Police Department was there, uh, of volunteers, uh, Scott Faraday was there to help us out, help her carry, or help us carry her another quarter of a mile um, to uh, to a landing zone where we could um, uh, do patient care on her before before a helicopter got there. That's great. So, so from from what the, the, the submission said, there was 18 minutes from the time you guys checked on scene until she was out of the debris. So at this point, when you have her completely out, um, what did it seem like for you guys? I mean, what what's going through your head during that entire time? Uh, does it Did it seem like an hour, right? Because isn't that, isn't that what folks always say? Is that it seemed like forever until they finally yeah. showed up. So yeah, what what was the, uh, yeah. what was the arrival time in, in your eyes? Man, all I was thinking about was how I just wanted my chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Still the chicken, right? Yeah. Just, wanted, just wanted to eat chicken and go back to the station and run a couple lift assists. <laughs> no, nah, man, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't know. Like, it seemed like it took forever. Um, yeah, like completely forever. Like, you know, our vibe alerts were going off, and we were just exhausted, uh, like, trying to move this kid and get to her. And not to mention, you know, a lot of the guys in the, you know, firefighter resiliency those guys who teach that like the fit to fight fire guys uh eric haskins rick george those guys you know they put firemen in those levels of, of physiologically red making decisions and uh you know after this that kind of training seems so important to me um i really don't know peter how how long it took it just seemed like it did take forever but when we actually you know got the the, the times it, it wasn't as long as 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 we thought. I mean, that's my perspective anyway. Jason. I yeah. Know. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't recall ever going through a bottle that, bottle that quick. Uh, 
Yeah, it seemed like it did take a long time. And, um, of course, after that call, we were spent the rest of the day, um, uh, even after trying to, to rehab and, um, yeah, get our trucks back in service and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was a it was a long 18 minutes. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. So, yeah, and then, you know, we were – I like to use the tip of the spear – we were just the tip of the spear, right? Like our first incoming was the tip of the spear. Captain Class helping us, Engineer McMahon navigating that, that troublesome vehicle, eventually getting to the fire, getting water on the fire, uh, the response of our part-time people or volunteers showing up, getting all hands on deck to put out the fire to complete a primary search of the area, um, not to mention the hospital staff that was on scene, uh, the ER staff that had already set up essentially like um, – triage waiting for mass casualty. I mean, the whole community came together for this small, this, this tragic event. It wasn't small by any means for our town. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we were just the tip of the spear. We ended up hiking this kid out a quarter mile to a landing zone where an air ambulance from Boise came. Uh, they ended, ended up RSIing the patient. Uh, she had significant burns, uh, a significant back injury that actually led to some paralysis. Uh, multiple fractured bones, blast injuries. Um, There's all kinds of factors that that came in to to allowing this victim to to live. Right, uh, us getting her out was was just the tip of it. So, uh, one thing I also wanted to to talk a little bit about was, you know, we we work in a department. Well, I used to work in a department. McCall, I value it, even though I don't work there now. But incredible leadership by our chief, Chief DeYoung. He's very much into fitness and training and enabling uh, his members to to train as much as they can and, and seek outside training, as well as physical fitness. He's a beast. He's a power lifter, and uh, he instilled working out as being something that, that's basically mandatory here. And I'll tell you what, man, like getting that, that, big, that, that victim out, it was everything we had physically. And so I'm just very thankful that, you know, we were part of a, a fire department that had that kind of culture and that kind of expectation. Hey, guys, so training, you know, it certainly plays a role in, in everything that firefighters do on a daily basis. So how has your training uh, over the last five to ten years for, for the two of you uh, played a role in the successful rescue and outcome of this incident? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, man, there is some serious influence, um, not just within our department, but outside uh, that played uh, – a legitimate practical role in this. Um, everything from the beginning of the incident, uh, you know, from screaming bystanders and people uh, yelling at us, you know, taking classes like Gary Lane's DIY engine off class at the Boise Symposium, you know, he he taught us in Adam Mayers and, and that whole country how to deal with that, right? And th- those are skills that we use on that incident. So that was huge. Other, um, you know, Padres, like brothers in battle, someone we, the, the guys and gals we really, really, really looked up to, um, you know, they, we've been to their classes and used a lot of, of their stuff in our own department training. But uh, just the message, right, like occupying survivable space, like doing everything to support the primary search. These are things that, you know, you train on and, and you basically become indoctrinated in. And in that incident, that's, it, that's how it played out. We, we were able to occupy survival space. We were able to get to a victim. We were able to, you know, attempt to perform these drags on a victim um, that they taught us. And then, uh, it, you know, a, a lot of that stuff that just paid off. But those, those, those outside trainings, those conferences, just being engaged, it just, I don't know. It's, it, I never thought it, it, we would be in a position where we'd have to use it. I don't know if anyone does. But, um, yeah, like it really, it really helps us in this incident and I'm very, very grateful for these mentors um, that I just mentioned. Uh, as well as one more mentor of mine, uh, my best friend Tyler Greensfelder in Anchorage, Anchorage Fire Department. Uh, he's been a huge mentor of mine in that whole Anchorage Fire Department um, and basically just being an engaged fireman, passing down um, experiences and trainings and us just paying it forward. Yeah. So, so if there's um, one piece, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Peter. If there's one piece of advice, you know, one one thing, there's there's a must, right? There's a must skill or a must ability that you would 
pass along if you each had one to share with our, our readers for something to prepare them for something that the, the same situation that you encountered, what would that one thing be that they need to brush up on or learn uh, before they go back to work or, or you know, get called out on their, their next run? Oh, you pointed me, Jason? Come on, man. I've been doing all the talk. I know. <laughs> um, no, no, it's for each of you, each of you, yeah. whoever gets to go first. One thing, you know, I, I, I would say mindset for me personally. I work with some guys now at Nampa and at McCall um, that have that mindset, and m most people do, but that mindset of, you know, not if but when it happens. And if not you, then who is going to deal with that? And it's very easy, I feel like, in this job, and we're all guilty, no matter where you are, FDNY to the smallest volunteer department and, and you know, even rural or Idaho, if rural is even a word. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we get complacent, right? We don't think this will happen. Um, I think that mindset of, of knowing that, uh, of just being aware that, that it could, right, and that everything you do, like uh, I really like the Captain Scully uh, analogy when he talked about his famous landing in the Hudson, how he, all his training deposits, right? Everything he'd done in his career, like he pulled out for that one incident. Uh, he made a, a significant gross withdrawal. To me, that incorporates and en encompasses that mindset of it could and it will happen to you. And so everything you do should be in terms of like preparing for that big game, that big moment. And Everyone's going to have their career call, and we're just lucky enough to uh, to have had it and been somewhat successful and, and, like, unbelievably now been here with you sharing, you know, what we've learned from that. But I would say mindset, Peter, for me personally. And, yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert just, just because we uh, um, had, you know, had one call. But the, the one thing that I would say that I – uh, have changed in my perspective of daily life is, is training. Um, it was easy for me to, to take a day off here and there, and uh, um, I never liked I never liked to run. Um, I'd always I'd always think of something else to uh, to do other than run. Um, but now I uh, because of that day I make myself uh, at least do something. Um, so I would say never miss a day of uh, PT. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, anything else you'd like to share about the incident um, before we kind of to wrap up today? Yeah, uh, this is a horrible event. This event was caused by propane, uh, specifically uh, lines that were not protected from snow uh, being sheared. Our fire chief in McCall has gone to incredible lengths to change that, and it's sparked essentially a whole new way of thinking of how we deal with propane heating and utilization in any town that utilizes it. Um, it's big, and hopefully this incident changed the outcomes for other people in dealing with these these lines and these new specifications and and uh, and ways people keep their house, but I don't know. I'm just proud of, of the McCall Fire Department and how they used this incident to, to say this is not going to happen again. Um, and another thing, it was horrible and sad. Her grandpa was killed, and just to be honest, uh, she died uh, in July, our victim. This kid, she passed away from injuries related to this incident, specifically. Um, it took over a year, but Unfortunately, she passed away, and it ripped Jason and I's heart out because we did stay in touch with her. She cooked us meals. She hung out with us. We visited her. We were friends on Facebook. We stayed in touch with her, and we did everything we could. But I think it was important that she knew, despite her circumstances and the incredible lengths she was going through in rehab, and I'm sure, you know, the day she just wanted to give up, that she had the support of not just Jason and I, but the entire fire service in this country behind her. And I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the fire service and I'm proud of my crew that day and my buddy Jason sitting here in the 
leadership we had. But I think more than anything, you just have to convey that, you know, not all uh, of these events ends happily, and we're still healing from, from her passing. So that's all I have. Yeah, it's all put, John. Um, yeah, I would, I would say ditto on that. Um, I'm really, uh, you know, I've been in this department for uh, 10 years now. Um, I can never say this enough, but I uh, love what I do. Um, it's the greatest job in the world. Uh, and I know John and I are sitting here right now talking to you today, Peter, but uh, there isn't a guy in this department uh, that wouldn't have done the same thing or in the country that wouldn't have done the same thing as we did. So um, we, I hate to say, you know, we were just lucky to be on the ambulance that day because uh, we got to um, know Bella. Uh, uh, but we were also, um, yeah, real unlucky um, uh, to have to uh, have to go through this uh, uh, sad situation with her. So, um, yeah. Well, and again, I mean, excellent job. Uh, you know, the, the comments, the comments we received again from the judges was just, you know, the, the efforts were outstanding and, and some of them have judged for us in the years past this year, we had a couple of new judges as well. Um, and they just, you know, it was a unanimous decision. You, you were, your efforts were, were the top and, and, you know, we've got departments from obviously FDNY and Colorado and Baltimore and, uh, cities across the country, um, for, for their efforts, the submissions were made. Um, I'd just like to, you know, kind of close. Uh, we have we have something a little exciting to talk about here in just a minute. But as far as the valid part of the program, um, in the in the nomination packet, it, it ends with um, the, the a, a bystander who said, um, "Firefighter Metz and Beck go into the structure." I'm sorry, a, a, a bystander who saw firefighters Metz and Beck go into the structure later stated, "As I watched them enter." I knew they were going to die. I have seen, I've never seen such bravery. So I think that really, you know, for a bystander witnessing what's going on really tells the story of what you guys did. So, you know, just again, you know, great work, uh, you know, good job putting all your training uh, and, and everything together and really showing the importance of teamwork, uh, you know, even waiting on the engine to get there. Um, you did what you have to do, right? That's, that's exactly what it is that departments, you know, big and small paid and, and, and volunteer, no matter what it is, you have a job to do and, and you guys did it. So just, you know, great work there. So thank you. And again, congratulations. Uh, you can read more about this award and all the other awards that are being handed out this year at firehouse.com valor slash valor. I'm sorry. Um, and as we wrap up today, something a little different, I wasn't aware of until after um, we set up the podcast, but, um, we've got a book coming out and, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on the serious side today of the fire service, but, uh, this is really a great way to kind of end today's podcast. Let's learn about the book firehouse pranks and antics. Yeah, Peter, I never, <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, I never thought I'd be on a firehouse, uh, podcast plugging this, uh, compilation book that my friend Jeremy and Olson and I put together. Um, unfortunately, Jason didn't really have much to do with this, but uh, we're going to give him a copy anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, we, uh, man, we live in McCall, and we are really lucky. We have retired Chief uh, Head Corp. Randy, who lives here. And uh, Chief Corp. Randy was a battalion chief at San Francisco Fire Department, and he lives in McCall, and he is an incredibly amazing man and amazing mentor. And one of the guys who started Fire Nuggets uh, back in the day, uh, Chief Corp. Randy um, basically has, became our friends and all through knowing all his friends we got to hear all these crazy funny stories from famous firefighters all over the country so jeremy and i about two years ago um were like you know what let's just get a compilation of these so we sought out like i think we have 32 interviews with uh, some of the, the biggest names in the fire service all over the country about the best pranks and annex that they have and the book is it's it's very it's very uh I don't want to say funny, but it's just it's, it was a great project. It makes us laugh, um, and we are going to release it in two weeks. So if you, you want to read some, some funny pranks that uh, other firefighters have done across the country, you can go check out that book. It's on Amazon. It's on ebook, audiobook. It's uh, Firehouse Pranks and Antics, a compilation of firefighter interviews. So thanks for letting us plug that. I hope 
Uh, we can see that on many toilets across the uh, the country and firehouses everywhere. It's the perfect bathroom book. That's great. And so, what, what's maybe one of one of your favorites out of the uh, out of the story that you published? Out of the story, uh, it has to be. It has to be Mark Wesseldine from the FDNY talking about um, how there was a, a guy there that nobody liked. He was a bully, and they were at a station. And so one of the other guys was like, I'm going to show this guy. So they all went to bed, and he basically spent all day cardboard tracing out a hot saw warthog blade for the K-12 saw out of cardboard, painted it, mounted it. And so when the guy was asleep, he basically flipped on the lights, started up the saw, and dropped it on his chest the guy was in bed and the guy literally pissed his pants so it's just stories like that man you can't make up and for us to be able to capture some of those in print it's just it's that's my favorite so thank you mr wesseldine and again thank you chief corp randy and everybody else who contributed to our uh, our dumb little project <laughs> that's great that's great all right cool well uh take a look at that book so it's firehouse pranks and antics you said it'll be on amazon and where else can they find it yeah, it's on Amazon. It's an ebook and any platform. And then we uh, we got a we got a guy to read it, so it'll be on any audiobook platform too. Um, yeah, and we're not really trying to make a buck on it. We spend a lot of money to self-publish it. We're just trying to get it out to make our friends laugh, and more importantly, give Chief Corporandy a copy because he's been so awesome to us. It's kind of the whole spearhead of the project. So thanks for letting us uh, share that, Peter, and thanks for letting us be on your podcast today. All right, guys, thank, thank you so much. And, again, you know, thank you for, for the work that you guys have done. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really been a honor to talk to you guys based on everything that you've done uh, over the last year, you know, and, and staying friends with her and, 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 you know, becoming, I guess, kind of like an extended fam- member of our members of our family. Uh, that's just awesome of you guys to do that. So, so thank you. Uh, again, Michael McNamee, Award of Valor. Uh, we have the winners today. Um, John Metz and Jason Beck. Um, a big thank you to MSA and Globe for their continued support and sponsorship of this podcast. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening uh, and stay safe. Thanks, Peter. This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it is not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive is to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet challenges you face every day to help you keep safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com globe.